is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Greetings and welcome to VOA Africa. Thank you for joining us. I'm Mike Wabe, and here's what's coming up. We've seen different divisions within Africa, different countries expressing their position towards not only the aggression, violation of sovereignty and territorial integrity, but also towards human rights. That was Ukraine's ambassador to South Africa after speaking with a representative of the Southern African nation's government for the first time since Russia's invasion of her country. All this and more coming up on Africa News Tonight. In our top story of the day, prolonged rains and flooding in South Africa's KwaZulu-Natal province have claimed the lives of at least 20 people. The country's military has been deployed to Durban and the surrounding Etewini metropolitan area today to assist with rescue operations. Local media report that some people have been swept away by surging waters. Authorities are providing shelter for several hundred people whose homes were washed away and technicians are working to restore electricity to areas where power has been knocked out. Days of pounding rain have flooded several areas and shut dozens of roads in Durban, while landslides have forced the suspension of train services across KwaZulu-Natal. The Provincial Disaster Management Department has urged people to stay at home and ordered those living in low-lying areas to move to higher ground. The African Union's current chairman, Senegalese President Maki Sal, said in a tweet that he has received a call from Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky to discuss the economic impact of the Russian invasion and the need for dialogue to resolve the bloodshed. Zelensky also reportedly requested to address the African Union on the matter. For analysis on this, Nabil Biagio reached Washington-based Senegalese analyst and international relations expert Rene Lake. One of the main strengths of uh, Vladimir Zelensky as the president of Ukraine was his capacity to communicate uh, around the world, to communicate with the world, to communicate with the Western world in particular, in explaining the pain and the suffering the Ukraine people were going on with this uh, invasion of uh, Russia. And so he did a series of calls like that around the world, around the Western world, I should say, in Europe, here in the U.S., is addressed the, the, the Congress. So now the big issue for him, a big issue, I don't know in terms of a return on investment, if I can use that term, but uh, the big issue is in Africa, he doesn't have the same level of uh, uh, attention uh, because, as you know, the vote at the U.N. didn't go uh, very well for uh, Ukraine as African countries was concerned. Of course, like you just uh, mentioned, this comes on the backdrop of two dozens of African countries either voting against or abstaining in the vote to suspend Russia from the UN Human Rights Council, including Senegal itself. And yes, now Zelensky right. Zel- is reaching out and seeking an audience with the African Union. What message is he going to convey here? Yeah, I think he's going to try to do the same thing to show that at the end of the day, uh, this is uh, about uh, people, this is about uh, human beings, this is about the suffering of individuals. We understand, everybody understands the ideological aspect of any conflict, understand the economical interest in any conflict, the whole geopolitical aspect. But at the end of the day, there is also the human uh, dimension. And he's very good at uh, uh, pointing to that uh, specific uh, uh, issue, that specific aspect 
of the of, of the crisis. But as you mentioned, uh, uh, Nabil, in in uh, what that was like uh, end of last week, uh, April 8, you had uh, 19 countries on the Africa in the African countries were abstained, and nine voted against uh, the. Uh, the expulsion of uh, Russia from the Human Rights uh, Council. So the, the direction, things are not going in the right direction from a Ukraine standpoint on the African continent. It's not so much a real support of Russia, but it's, uh, but it's basically an opposition of expressing some opposition of, to the Western world in the way they've been treating African countries, African people uh, for the past uh, decades or two or so. Of course, uh, much of Africa is already feeling the economic impact of the war in Ukraine. Uh, for example, in terms of food shortages, especially wheat and other grains, that Ukraine and Russia are the major exporters uh, of to Africa and the world, really. But in geopolitical terms, how important is Africa to Ukraine? What leverage does the continent have? I mean, when when you're at war like this, every support you can get, you want you you want to get it. So it's uh, just a, it's a number game in some way. The larger coalition you can have, the larger support you can have, uh, the better it is in order to uh, push your uh, agenda. So that's one. But uh, second of all, uh, uh, Ukraine has been a good uh, provider, as you say, of wheat, for example, on the African uh, continent. So it's, uh, it's um, I was going to say, an important market. Maybe important is not the right word, but it's somehow uh, it's significant in some, uh, in some way. I think Ukraine has a pretty um, important commercial relationship with uh, China. And from a triangle standpoint, uh, it's important to uh, maintain a pretty good relation with uh, African uh, uh, countries as China is really pushing its uh, agenda for the past what, uh, two to three decades on the African continent. So there was multiple reasons for Ukraine to try to have the best relation uh, possible with uh, Africa. That was Rene Lake, Senegalese political analyst and international relations expert, speaking today with my colleague Nabil Biajo in Washington. In more Ukraine-related news... Ukraine's ambassador to South Africa has finally met with a representative of President Cyril Ramaphosa's administration more than six weeks after Russia invaded the Eastern European nation. But tension remains between Kiev and Pretoria as the South African government continues to insist on its neutral position on the conflict and refuses to directly address allegations of atrocities by Moscow's troops in Ukraine. Darren Taylor has more. Yesterday's meeting followed a tweet the day before by Ukraine's ambassador Lyubov Abrovitova. She expressed her dismay at Pretoria's apparent unwillingness to allow her to explain why the Putin regime's actions were unjustifiable. I believe that this tweet did bring the attention from both the department and presidency to the issue, and it is crucial, it is very important. Because the position of any country, whether it's pro-Ukrainian or it's neutral, must keep open the doors for diplomacy and for the dialogue. These doors have been firmly shut to Abravitova since the Kremlin's soldiers streamed into Ukraine in late February. 
but the ambassador told reporters during an online briefing that she decided to focus on more positive things when she met with Department of International Relations Director General Zane Dangor. From a diplomatical point of view and from the point of view of me being an ambassador here and a lady ambassador here, it is appropriate to argue about the evident facts. Abravitova says she did, however, make it known to Dangor that Putin's troops were committing war crimes in her country and causing a humanitarian catastrophe. We did agree that we will continue these uh, meetings and these uh, discussions. We also discussed the proposed call between the two presidents. So it's just a matter of time and uh, I would not see any political context in uh, the delay of this telephone call. Ramaphosa asked to speak with Ukrainian leader Volodymyr Zelensky about three weeks ago. Abravitova says the call hasn't happened yet because of Zelensky's heavy schedule. Not because her government's bitter that the South African government has chosen a position of non-alignment on the conflict. She says she's aware of the ruling African National Congress's close relations with Moscow, but doesn't believe that should exclude Ukraine from having a good relationship with Pretoria. I respect South Africa, South Africans, South African government. Today, in my work, I have at least two major goals. First one is to achieve peace in my country. And second one is to continue to develop the bilateral relations between Ukraine and South Africa. The ANC's ties with Moscow stretch back to the 1950s, when the former Soviet Union began funding its armed struggle against apartheid. Russia and South Africa are also members of the five-nation BRICS economic bloc. But Abrivitova points out that Kyiv's had a great bond with democratic South Africa for almost 30 years. She says Zelensky also wants to address the African Union. I believe that since the beginning of invasion, we've seen different divisions within Africa, different countries expressing their position towards not only the aggression, violation of sovereignty and territorial integrity, but also towards human rights. It is happened historically that for each particular country of Africa, these principles are crucial for their own existence. Abravitov is convinced that a lot of African countries will show more support for Ukraine if Zelensky speaks with the AU. For VOA News, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg. UN aid agencies warn that millions of people in Somalia are at risk of famine, with young children the most vulnerable to the worsening drought in the troubled Horn of Africa nation. Today, the World Food Programme, the Food and Agriculture Organization, the humanitarian agency OCHA and UN Children's Fund said Somalia faces a perfect storm of poor rain, skyrocketing food prices and huge funding shortfalls. In a joint statement, they warned that almost 40% of Somalia on the brink of famine. They also said that pockets of famine conditions were likely in six areas of Somalia. Many parts of Somalia are ravaged by drought that has also taken hold on other countries in the region, including Ethiopia and Kenya. The UN agencies warn a major funding shortfall to address the crisis and avoid a repeat of the famine in 2011. 
The WFP's Somalia representative, Al-Qadir Daloum, described the country as on the cusp of a humanitarian catastrophe. In Nigeria, residents of Nigeria's central plateau state say around 150 people have been killed during attacks on villages in the state and have been buried in mass graves. It is the latest wave of attacks by armed gangs in northern Nigeria. Timothy Obiezu reports from Abuja. Residents and local heads of Kokawa, Giambahu, Dango and Karen villages said mass burials were held Monday for at least 150 bodies that were recovered after the attack. They said the search continues for more bodies. Armed gangs raided for villages on Sunday afternoon, shooting sporadically and raising houses. Most of the victims were killed as they tried to escape the attack. Dozens of people were kidnapped. Plato state government and police authorities have condemned the attack and told VOA Monday that reinforcements had been sent to the affected villages. But officials are yet to comment on the death toll. Police spokesperson Gabriel Uba said the Nigerian police do not have enough officers to be in every community, but he said they are often swift to respond to attacks. The police cannot be everywhere at a particular time. So when incidents like this happen, that's why we uh, we cultivate this um, community policing that will aid us with information. Residents say the attacks lasted hours on Sunday before police finally arrived. They also say the attackers destroyed communication towers to interrupt possible calls for help before attacking the villages. No group has claimed responsibility for the attacks, but Nigeria has been seeing increasing raids by armed groups in its northwest and central states. Plateau State borders Kaduna State, where Maroudin terrorists invaded a military base and killed 15 soldiers last week, days after blowing up a moving train, killing eight passengers and kidnapping dozens of others. The attacks have raised concerns among citizens and triggered criticisms of the government. Senator Irebu is a security analyst. What is happening in the Northwest is as a result of lack of political will from the federal government. There is a discordant tone on what is actually the problem in Northwest. And there is a discordant tone on how to respond and the strategy to Adapt. Security forces have restored calm to the affected areas, but many residents whose houses were burned down remain without shelter for now. Timothy Obiezu for VOA News, Abuja, Nigeria. Botswana scientists are urging the public not to panic as they investigate two new coronavirus mutations linked to the Omicron variant that have been detected in several countries. Four people are in Botswana where health officials say they have mild symptoms. From Khaberon, Botswana, reporter Nkondi Sidube has the details. Minister of Health spokesperson Christopher Nyanga says the new variants were detected in Botswana last week. He says they are sub-variants of Omicron, the most widespread and contagious version of the deadly disease so far. The preliminary finding of this new sub-lineage in Botswana has been designated as Omicron BA.4 and BA.5. The four cases are currently being monitored to gather more information about the potential impact on disease spread and severity. The foursome comprise residents and non-residents aged between 30 and 50 years, two being non-residents 
who had a recent travel history. The quartet are fully vaccinated and have been experiencing only mild symptoms. Nyanga says local scientists are trying to establish the characteristics of the variants and whether they are more deadly and more transmissible compared with the non-Omicron variant first detected last November. The ministry, in collaboration with other stakeholders, including regional and international bodies, is still studying the properties and characteristics of this Omicron sub-lineage in order to gain more data and knowledge about its behavior. So far, no conclusions have been made yet in relation to whether or not the sub-lineage is more deadly and more transmissible than the non-Omicron variant. Similarly, investigations on whether COVID-19 vaccines are effective against this sub-lineage are ongoing. Botswana and South Africa were the first two countries to alert the world to Omicron, and the World Health Organization, WHO, says both have reported BA.4 and BA.5 cases. Denmark, Scotland and England also have reported detecting BA.4. WHO declared Omicron a variant of concern when it was first detected due to its significantly high number of mutations. For VOA, this is Mkondi Sidube in Haboroni, Botswana. Libyan Prime Minister designate Fatih Bashaga called for restraint and avoidance of what it described as political and military escalation. By his arrival, the Beba, Government of National Unity, GNU, which he said aims to blockade oil and disrupt of transport links between the East and West and the South. Supporters of the Dababa government said a statement from the 5 plus 5 Joint Military Commission representing General Khalifa Haftar's forces called for blockading oil exports from Libya and shutting down the coastal road. Wolfgang Putzai, former Austrian military attaché in Libya, discussed the raising tensions in Libya with VOA senior analyst Mohamed Al-Shinawi. The LNA members of the 5 plus 5 Joint Military Commission demanded last Saturday an immediate handover of power from the Beba to Fatih Bashaga. They called on LNA commander Haftar to cease any contacts with the government of national unity, to close the coastal road and any other traffic between the east and west, and to block all oil exports until the Beba has resigned. The five officers stated that they are forced to do so by the Dabeba government's work, by the continued neglect of the East, the unprecedented and systematic looting of Libya's assets, the refusal to accept legitimate decisions, such as the expiration of his mandate, as well as not handing over power to the HOR-mandated government. The spokesman of the Libyan National Army said on the next day that there are no orders to block the oil terminals. Nevertheless, I would say it is clear that the LNA members of the 5 plus 5 GMC would not make such a statement without at least direct coordination with Haftar himself. Fatih Bashaga is already considered by many in Tripoli and in Misrata as way too close to Haftar. So any direct support from Haftar does him more bad than good, at least in the West. That's the reasoning for the careful phrasing of Bashaga's statement, with which he also tries not to annoy his supporters in the East. Bashaga's government held the GNU responsible for national and legal responsibility for the consequences of any interference in the affairs of the Central Bank of Libya, the National Oil Corporation, and the Libyan Investment Authority. How would the crisis of having two prime ministers in Libya end?
Libya now has two rival governments since March 1st, when the HOR gave a vote of confidence to Fatih Bashaga and his government. These two governments, who are not right now, not East versus West governments, are not sustainable for months. Why? Because both need to control the capital Tripoli. Bashaga, who is from Misrata, cannot reside in the East without losing all his credibility in the West. In Tripoli, I would say there are two kingmakers. On one side, the militias who control, physically control the city, and on the other side, the Central Bank of Libya, which controls the money. Bashaga is, of course, aware of this. His first attempt to rush into Tripoli on March 10 with the support of Misrata militias, but without bloodshed, as he always stated, failed at the sand berms erected by the Dabeba loyal militias on the coastal road. So after failing to physically control Tripoli, now he attempts to cut off the Dabeba government from the money and force Dabeba to step back through this. But even if this works, it will take some time, especially if the international community does not support him and does not pressure the Central Bank of Libya, which would be, I would say, relatively easily possible. Bashaga is in an increasingly difficult position. He has lost the momentum. He and his staff and several other ministers are still staying in hotels in Tunisia, but they are running out of money. We might see a new rush of Misrata militias to Tripoli very soon. Would the increasing importance of Libyan oil contribute to pushing European countries to do more to find a political solution that guarantees the security of oil exports, especially since instability led in earlier times to militias and gangs taking over the control of oil fields and disrupting production? If oil blockade materializes this time, this is much more dangerous for a global economy than it was last time in 2020. During the last months, the Libyan daily production was at the average, I would say, about 1.2 million barrels per day. So a blockade, a loss of 1.2 million barrels per day, could certainly impact the global oil price, which is especially right now a huge problem for Europe. So yes, on one side, the Europeans should make their decision whom they want to support in Libya, but on the other side, they are still hesitant as they don't want to bet on the wrong horse. Nevertheless, they should make a clear assessment of the situation. And if they do, they will find out that it's much less riskier right now to support Bashaga to take over than to say nothing. That was Wolfgang Putzai, former Austrian military attaché in Libya, speaking with VOA senior analyst Mohamed Alshnawi. And that wraps up this edition of Africa News Tonight. I'm Mike Wabe in Washington, D.C. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voanews.com. And thank you again for tuning in and choosing the voice of America. host of Music Time in Africa. Join me every Saturday and Sunday for an hour of awesome African music. Like to stay on top of new music trends? Breakout artists? New releases? Maybe you just love the classic styles and artists of the past. Or simply the sound and feel of a good beat. 
whatever your pleasure, you can get it every week right here on Music Time in Africa. So join me on your local FM station Saturdays and Sundays at 1500 and 2000 UTC. VOA brings you the best in African music on the African beat. African Beat showcases the latest and the greatest of contemporary African music. From bobo music to hip life, bonga flavor to sukus, Afrobeat to Dumbolo and Makosa to Kwaito. The African Beat on VOA has it all. And it's happening right here, Mondays through Fridays at 09.05 and 20.05 UTC, right after the international news. Hey, sports fans, brighten your day by tuning into the sunny side of sports Monday through Friday at 1630 and 1830 UTC. Join us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash VOA Sunny and on Twitter at VOA Sunny Sports or check out the blog at blogs.voanews.com forward slash sunny. It's the sunny 